want to read for you our text this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 38. Um, You perhaps may be familiar with this or parts of it. Um, But uh, please listen to this word read. And it says this, Matthew 5, beginning verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You love those who love you. What reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, I have uh, read that passage of Scripture many times over the years, and quite a few times in the last uh, few weeks. And uh, to be honest with you, sometimes I read that passage of Scripture, I don't know about you, and I don't know what to do with it. Uh, there are some, have you ever have a passage of Scripture like that? You kind of read along, and you just go, eh, let's just read right through that. And we kind of read through that, and we go on. And and I, I, I kind of get there sometimes with this these two paragraphs here that we're looking at today. And, and then it gets even worse at the end. I mean, why would he write that? Seriously. You thought about that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, it's not enough just to say be perfect. And then he says, just how are you supposed to be perfect? You're supposed to be perfect exactly like your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that seems like an invitation to failure, frustration. I don't know. But this I know. I don't think that God is setting us up for failure. Right? That's not the kind of God we serve. So if he says to us, be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly, your heavenly Father is perfect, he's not just yanking our chain and teasing us. There has to be some sense in which, yeah, okay, that's doable. So I read through this passage of Scripture, and I, and I kind of get the idea, okay, well, is, is what he's saying then be perfect? Perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, if you'll just do these things, then you'll be perfect. Yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of get there sometimes. I've been accused of that kind of preaching. And, you know, it works most of the time. 
So maybe what he's saying is, you know, he, he, you know, he's in this contrast thing where he's, he's comparing, you know, the, the system of the day with something different, something we've talked about that. So he's saying, you've heard it said this, but I tell you it's really like this. And, and that's kind of where he gets started here. He gets started with this idea that you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and really, if he went on from there, but I tell you it, and, you know, his listeners are probably hearing that and saying, well, what in the world is wrong with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? And indeed, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth isn't all that bad, right? You know what the other alternative is? You mess with me, I mess with you, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, and your favorite dog. It's kind of all a godfather kind of thing, you know. Hell, that's what I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. You know, it, it, it's it's one of those kind of things to say. So, so when you get to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you say everybody in that day would have been saying, "Well, yeah, that's good," because it used to be, "Mess with me, I mess with you, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your you know your dog, your cat, your everybody." I mean, it's just to wipe you out. And so, so an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was kind of actually an improvement on what the day was. It was kind of uh, equitable kind of justice. So you punch me, I punch you. You kill my cow, I kill your cow. You know, you, you buy my cow or something. I don't know. It was, so it was kind of an equitable kind of system. And yet Jesus says, no, it's something more than that. There was a, a legalistic order which the Pharisees had worked out so everything had its price and everything had its moment and everything had its way and, and they did all that kind of stuff. And Jesus begins to say, no, you know, it's something more than that. And he begins to talk about four examples of being taken advantage of. Four examples of when somebody's kind of, you know, taking a little further than it needed to go. He said, that's not eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Well, how are we not supposed to resist them? He said, well, somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him also the left. Which is kind of tricky because back in those days, uh, you would never use your left hand to strike someone. You'd always strike someone with your right hand. And to be able to strike someone on the right cheek with your right hand, you can't punch him. You are giving him a major insult by slapping him with the back of your hand. Jesus says, before it gets any worse, just turn the other cheek. Let him have both. You don't need to cower. Just give him the other one. Someone wants to sue you and take your tunic. That was uh, that was kind of a, a pattern that happened sometimes. If someone was poor and they uh, needed something and they couldn't afford something, oftentimes they would use their tunic as collateral. So they'd say, well, give me some money or something, and then I'll, I'll hold my tunic as collateral against whatever it is that I'm borrowing from you kind of thing. And, and so then to get it, people would sue them. Say, well, you know, you said you were going to do this, whatever, and, and so give me your tunic. And what happens oftentimes is that 
they sued them unjustly and did all that kind of stuff. And Jesus said, you know, they want your tunic. Let them have your coat too, your cloak. He essentially said to them, it's so ridiculous. If they want your inner clothes, which is essentially what that was, the tunic was the clothes that was right next to your body. Well, give him your outer clothes too because nobody wants to see you naked. I, know, I can attest to that. It's so ridiculous. Just give it all. Someone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. That, that came out of the abuse of the Romans. The Romans came in with such great authority that, that they just said, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, or I'm going to kill you. And, and they themselves policed themselves and kind of came up with this rule to say, you know, you can't, you can't really grab somebody and force them to do all that you want them to do. You can only make them carry your stuff for a mile. And Jesus said, don't, don't fight that. Go to. Show those Romans. He goes on and he says, And give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I kind of quite, I can't quite figure out why that one is in this list when he has this list of abuses that people are abusing you, taking advantage of you, and maybe this is just one more of those that people are trying to take advantage of you. I don't know. And so I begin to think, if, if I'm supposed to be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect, and this is what I'm supposed to do? Hmm. He goes on and he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And you have heard it said is a good word there because uh, that's not really in Scripture. Uh, this was, uh, the Scripture tells us, love your, love your neighbor Nowhere in Scripture does it say to hate your enemies. It doesn't ever say that anywhere. God's word never, from beginning to end, says hate your neighbors. What ha- or hate your enemies? What happens there is that the the Pharisees and those who are writing the laws and interpreting the laws, they they kind of took this idea that said, well, if if God says that you're supposed to love your neighbor, and they understood your neighbor to be the people that look like you, act like you, thought like you, smelt like you did all the rest, if that's who your neighbor is, then obviously you're supposed to love those people, so then the flip-flop of that must be true, that you're supposed to hate everybody who isn't like you. But God never said that. God said, love your neighbor. The Pharisees came along and added to it and said, love your enemy. And Jesus goes on and says, there's another way. I tell you that we are to love our enemies, and pray for those that persecute you. I kind of like what uh, Dr. Warwick said last week. He said, I've wanted to pray a lot of prayers for my enemies that God just wouldn't let me pray. (laughs) Not those kind of prayers. (laughs) Another kind of prayer we'll talk about. And he begins to explain what that means. And he says, you, you, you need to do that because if you don't do that, you, you're not any better than all the people around you because that's how Father does it. You see, he causes the sun to, to rise or to shine on the, the good and the evil and he brings the rain on the good and the evil and all that kind of stuff. And if God is 
that to all people without consideration, then why are you making distinctions between people? In fact, it says, if you love only those who love you, what, you don't have any reward in heaven. What good is all that? If you're not uh, any better than that, the tax collectors know how to love those that love them. You know where tax collectors ranked? Tax collectors ranked at the very, very bottom of the heap in that society. Or, well, not quite at the bottom, bottom. There were some others that were lower. But I think I said that this morning in the first service and I got in trouble. So I'm not going to tell you who that is, but there are some others below that in that day and age. And, he, and Jesus is saying, you know, if you, don't, if you don't go beyond loving just those who love you, you're not any better than those people. He said, if you don't love though beyond those who just love you, you know, even the pagans, even people who don't have the covenants, who don't have promises, who don't have the witness of God in their lives, even those people know enough to love those who love them. I read all this and I get back to, okay, so I'm going to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I see these things and I say, well, is that what perfection looks like? And I begin to wonder. I wonder, Jesus talks about a, a way of being. Way of responding. He talks about the way of the heart. What's really going on inside of you? And I and I I struggle a little bit with this passage. Anybody else struggle with these passages? Are you all good? Am I the only one? Sometimes preachers make mole, you know mountains out of molehills. I, I I struggle with these a little bit because because I get in this place and I say, well, I get stuck. I get stuck. This is where I get stuck. I get stuck because I see this very regimented kind of thing. If, if this goes on, do this. If this, then do this. If this, then do this. And I get stuck there because I, I begin to think, is God, is this Jesus inviting us to a whole brand new set of rules? Is Jesus saying to us, well, you know, the Pharisees' rules were like this. But now I'm going to give you a new set of rules. So now it's like this. So the Pharisees said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I'm telling you, it's A, B, C, D. The Pharisees said, love those that love you, hate everybody else. But I'm telling you, A, B, C, or A, B. Is it a new set of rules that he's giving us? And, and I kind of get stuck there because I think, I've been down there. That's hard. And then I hear this little word about be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And I think, I'm getting really set up here. I'm getting set up on both sides of this thing. I'm getting set up because there's a new set of rules and I'm really stuck on that because I thought he was trying to get us out of legalism. Now he's giving us a whole new legalism and it's called the legalism of we're all now going to be, you know, naked, poverty stricken and beat up. <laughs> you know, 
I'm like, is that how we're, is that the new, is that the new description of Christianity? And I begin to think that, that maybe that's not really what Jesus is wanting to say to us. That, that it's not about, here's a prescribed answer to a prescribed situation. But maybe it goes back to something I talked with you about uh, probably four or five weeks ago when we started this series. And it goes back to say, when, when Jesus is talking to us in the Sermon on the Mount, that it's not so much about, here's a new way of doing this. That if you just do this, you're going to be good. You're going to be righteous before God. And you're going to be righteous before man. One more set of rules. And oh, by the way, you're never going to be perfect, so get over it. But maybe rather I think he's talking to us about seeing for ourselves, again, those same comparisons. Do you remember my four little diagrams I gave you? Now, just humor me here. God will forgive you for lying. How many of you remember those four things? Just nod your head, say yes. Good, a couple of you did. Thank you. I hope you weren't lying, but... You remember, we, I, I talked to you about this contrast that, that, that in all of this stuff of the Sermon on the Mount, that he's talking to us about these comparisons between the external and the internal. He's talking about, are we talking about life on the outside? Are we talking about a structure of what we do and say, how we live and function, and this is what makes us righteous? Or are we talking about something that goes on on the inside and comes out of us that we continually have this comparison. We, we talked about this idea to say, is it, is it about the flesh? Is it about our needs and our stuff and our power and our strength? Or is it about the spirit? Is it about the spirit's work within us? Is it about his strength and his power and his stuff? It is, you remember this. Then you get the third thing we were talking about. We we're talking about the difference to say, is it about control? I'm going to be in control of my life, and I'm going to be in control of my religion, and I'm going to be in control of my righteousness, and I'm going to make this all happen. Or is it about surrender? Is it about surrender that says, God, <laughs> I can't, but you can, and I surrender myself to you and your desires in my life. Have your way done. The last one was kind of a summary statement to us to say, is it about me or is it about thee? Is life about us or is life about God? So I kind of go back to that. I, I'm kind of scratching my head going through this stuff and I'm thinking about how do, how do I navigate this stuff? Because I don't think God is calling us to another legalism and yet I do believe he's calling us to to another way of responding. And I, and I don't believe that God sets us up just kind of willy-nilly. Now, preachers do that. We, I, I, I have to confess, I've kind of done that sometimes. I, I don't think he's setting us up to something by saying, be right, you're holy, or be perfect, as God is perfect. I don't think God sets us up to fail. So how do we navigate all of that? Because here's the reality. I mean, We've all been abused. We've all been taken advantage of. We've all, I mean, I said in the first service, everybody who has a teenager knows where this is at. We've all been hard-pressed upon by our kids or by whoever, and, and we've all been 
in difficult situations. And in fact, some of us have even been attacked. Somebody out to get you. What do you do with all that? We have a little guide, and that's good. But I think it comes back to the question to say, will you respond to this? Will you respond to these situations of people taking advantage of you, of oppression, if you will, or of abuse, if you will, or those kind of things? Will we respond to those kinds of things? Flesh or spirit? Control or surrender? I think what he calls us to is that relationship with God in this journey that invites us to say, God, what is it that you want to do with me in this moment? What is your spirit's leading? It's not a new set of rules. Although those may be very helpful. It's about a heart that says, God, what do you want to do in me in this situation? Not by my strength, because in our strength, we will not respond. Okay? <laughs> in our strength, we will not respond with the other cheek. And we will not Go the extra mile. But God, what do you want me to do? It's a life of responsiveness to the Lord's prompting in your life. I think that's what he calls us. I think that because... I, I, I kind of look at the scriptures and I look at the story of Christ and and I see even in Christ's own experience, I think, well, you remember the story when a woman came and anointed Jesus with oil and Judas got all upset and said, why is he doing this? This should have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus' response was, well, the poor you'll always have with you. You don't always have me. Essentially saying, if you really wanted to help the poor, you could have helped. <laughs> They're around all the time. I, you know, walk through scriptures and I see um, this movement in the early church, and I, you know, I see everybody selling all they possess and giving to those in need. Do you know that I, I don't see any place in scripture where it's said to do that? People just did it. Why did they do it? Because of the Holy Spirit's prompting in their lives to do that. And what happened to the couple who got struck down? You remember the story? You know, they came and they said they'd done something for X. They sold their property and give, given the money amount, but it was not the real amount. Why were they struck down? Because they lied about the work, work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 
Now I'm going to get in trouble with this one because I really like to preach about tithing and all the importance of tithing and all that kind of stuff. But do you know what Paul said to the church? He really never said to them tithe. That is, he never said give 10%. He said to them, set aside every week that which the Lord has laid on your heart to give. Now, I think tithe is a good number. I think 10% is a good number. I want, all want, you know, don't stop giving. Don't stop tithing. But the bigger concept is our life in Christ is not found in another set of rules, no matter how good those rules are. It's found in a responsiveness to the Spirit's leading and promptings in our life. Because trust me, if it's up to us, we will never be perfect. It is only as we respond perfectly to the promptings of the Spirit's work within us that we have any hope for that kind of stuff. Not us. I I told a story this morning uh, in the first service. Um, I had a chance to listen to a number of testimonies. I'm a part of a committee on our district that interviews uh, people who are thinking about ministry and future ministry and stuff like that. And, um, and one of the questions we frequently ask is, explain to us your understanding of entire sanctification and how that works and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and this person went on to tell their story, and they, and they were explaining that. They said, well, I don't know how all of that works, and I, you know, I don't know all that much detail of all this stuff, but I just remember there was a day back, in, and he had a date, I think it was November, November 11th or 10th or something like that, 2010, when, when I just said, I, I, I'm surrendering to the Spirit's work in my life. And he said, you know, I wasn't a lot different. He said, but from that point on, I, I understood that the Spirit was helping me. And so when I, encountered the te- when I encountered temptations, which we all experience temptations and trials and tribulations and difficulties and all that stuff, I, I came to a place where I just said, I'm not going to try to do this on my own anymore, but I'm going to just ask God by the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to string- respond and give me the strength to do that? I kind of like that. I, I think that's what he calls us to in this responsiveness to the Spirit's promptings within our lives as we go through this journey. And along the way, he shapes us and molds us and, and makes us more and more like him. Does that make sense? Not a new set of rules. But another opportunity to say, God, help me to live. By your spirit. Help me to be responsive to your prompting. Because when that person comes and smacks you, and you'd like to, (laughs) maybe it's the Holy Spirit's promptings to just say, here, whack it on the other side. And he give you the strength to do that. Maybe he gives you the strength to call the police and say, there's some guy out here abusing me. (laughs) I ain't going to put up for that. I, I, you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, not a, it's not a call from God for us to be, you know, penniless pacifists. It's an invitation for us to be responsive by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen? Then I ask you this question. I have all these pieces of paper up here on the platform, and I've got another one up here. Because I I don't know about you, but we all have stuff. And some of the stuff that we deal with day by day has a name. (laughs) Don't be poking anybody beside you. Okay, that's it's not appropriate in church, but some of the stuff we face has a name. Some of the stuff we face it doesn't have a name, it has just a thing or a situation. And and today I, I, I y'all have a piece of paper. Did you get a piece of paper when you came in? Most of all you? Yeah, wave your paper at me if you have. Okay, a few of you got that. Okay. This is an invitation to put a name to the pain. I'm going to invite you to uh, to just name your pain. That may be a person. It may be a situation. It may be a relationship. It may be um, a need in your life. It may be... Um, Something physical. You can be praying for me and Norma. We just got news that her cancer is raging again. That's the name of my pain. I'm going to invite you to just name your pain. And then, and then if, you, if you want to write a little prayer to God about that situation. And, and as somebody said to me afterwards, after the first service, they said to me, Pastor, I know the name of my pain. And my very first prayer is, God, help me to be able to love this person. Because right now I don't love this person. And maybe that's the very first prayer you have. Maybe that first prayer is just a prayer of surrender. There, there is great truth to these, this text. It's not legalism, but it is great truth. About not resisting evil about loving even those who are your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. You want to change your life? Just begin to pray for the people or the situation. Say, God, it's yours. This person wouldn't act like this if there wasn't something messed up in their life. So God, you take them. Help them. Bless them. And that may, you, you won't start out there. If you're really in deep water with that, you won't start out with that prayer. <laughs> Your first prayer was to say, God, I surrender the way I feel about this person to you. Surrender. Saying yes to God. We're going to sing a song. And uh, I'm going to invite you to just kind of name your pain. You want to write a prayer to God on there? Don't put any last names on there. I, I'm not going to do anything with these, really. It's just an act of worship for you. I'm going to collect these and kind of get rid of them. But just in case somebody else might see them, <laughs> keep it fairly anonymous between you and God. And as we sing, if you'd like to just come and, and lay your pain and your prayer on an altar, you're invited to do so. We don't need more legalism. And we don't need to set ourselves up for failure. God doesn't do that. 
but he invites us to responsively to say, God, I surrender to you. Help me. Help me to do what I cannot do on my own. Amen? Father, into your hands do we give all that we are. Many of us here have things that uh, just burden our hearts. Some of them have a name. Some of them are just a situation. But Lord, we want to name it and we want to lay it at your altar. Because we can't deal with it. And that's okay. We just surrender to you. And we say, by your strength, by your spirit, by your power, Lord, help us. Help us to respond as you would. Lord, take us. Take our name, our situation. Have your way done in it. Pray in Jesus' name.